Bonjour. Welcome to the Cognac Expert podcast with Max. This time we speak to Guillaume Groporin, seller master and negotiant elver from Saint. So Guillaume, here we are. Tell us who are you and what do you do? Hi Max. So my name is uh, Guillaume Groperin. I am the managing director and the seller's master of uh, Cognac Groperin mm -hmm. since uh, 2003, 2004. So what is your what is your daily job? How can we imagine that? So I am merchant, négociant et lover in French. Mm -hmm. So my job is to select and to buy a cask from uh, very small producers, mm -hmm. but not only, also from other merchants and uh, bouilleurs de cru or distillers. Not only to to select the cask, but also to age them in our cellars. So we have uh, several cellars here in Saint, where you are, on the bank of the Charente River, but also outside of the city of uh, Saint. So we select casks and we age them during a few years, it depends, sometimes a very long time and sometimes a few months mm -hmm. uh, only, it depends. So that you didn't use the word blending, yeah. So yeah. how much do you blend? We do some blends for our second brand names. You know them, perhaps. I mean, Le Roc and uh, Mestreau mm -hmm. cognacs. Mm -hmm. uh, this cognac are um, uh, made from blends. For this cognac, I buy casks that will be blended to make a standard uh, VSOP or XO or extra categories. But uh, no, under Gros Perrin label, our cognac are never blended, except right. a few exception which are clearly you know indicated on the label so when you say bouillard de cru can you explain to our listeners what a bouillard de cru is okay so um, we have we have the chance in cognac to to benefit of a very old right which is to produce the grapes and to distill our own production which is not our case okay but this is a case of about uh, 4300 producers a few of them are distilling uh, their own production about uh, 3000 something like that they own their own pot still and they can distill their own production this is what we call the bouillard de cru and what's the main difference between your work and a big negociant house what would you say um, I would say that there is no difference except that the big uh, cognac company has larger volumes and uh, larger sales. So um, they don't have the same, probably, care about uh, the cognac that, than what we do. Mm -hmm. We take care, you know, of each cask, we take care of each origin, and we take care of everything. When you produce bigger quantities, it's more complicated, more difficult. You have to integrate some production methods and uh, production uh, standards, which will make that your production will become a sort of product. Okay, We are producing cognac, not product. Mm -hmm. And um, a Gros Perrin cognac is a cognac that um, you will understand the origin, you will understand how this cognac has been uh, made and aged, and uh, you um, will understand everything about it. When you drink standard, uh, high-quality uh, cognac from a big cognac company, you can expect to have a sort of a good XO or a good extra or very good cognac sometimes, but that will be something uh, that you expect to have, not exactly something that you will surprise you. We know that the top four cognac houses, they produce millions of bottles, right? Can you talk about that? How many bottles leave this cognac house per year, approximately? 
Oh, you know, we were selling very small quantities. In total, perhaps 10,000 bottles of Croperin cognacs, and in total, 30,000 bottles, uh, if we include the other brands. Uh, but uh, in terms of value, uh, Croperin represents uh, more than 80% of our sales. How did you get into this? Because, I mean, you're, when you entered mm -hmm. the company, you were a young, you're still a very young man, I would say, but you were even younger, obviously. Well, I, I was 23 years old. Wow. And uh, my idea at the beginning was just to, to give another understanding about uh, what cognac is really. Many people think that cognac um, as a large production is an industrial spirit, which is not the case, absolutely not. As I told you, more than 4,000 producers produce cognac every year. It creates a huge diversity and a huge uh, know-how in the region. This is not only uh, the, the four big brand names that we all know are something which is very precious and very uh, important for our region. But it gave a sort of a different point of view of what cognac is really. My objective, as my father's objective initially, 22 years ago, uh, was... This is when the brand was... Created. Yeah, it was founded uh, in 1999. Mm -hmm. And the idea was just to show the diversity of the cognac uh, region. This cognac house was um, created in 1999 uh -huh. and now is one of the most hyped cognac houses in a specific segment of cognac. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? How can you explain that? Well, I think, um, well, different things. Uh, probably the consumers today better understand what cognac is mm -hmm. and um, thanks to the social network and thanks to various communications like yours the consumer can see that uh, cognac is much more than uh, than the marketing department of the big companies try to to make it understandable we have chance we have a lot of chance in cognac today i think we can say that i think also uh, something important and, and probably the most important is that quality Uh, of the product, quality of the cognac you have in the bottle has never to be, you know, badly treated. Uh, to, to, it has to be clearly good always. Right. If you create, uh, if you create some disappointing people, it's very difficult to, to defend your product. And uh, it's perhaps something happened, you know, in other spirit industry. I, I don't know. Do you think a lot of whiskey drinkers are in love with Gros Parrain? Uh, some of them, yes, but there are so many whiskey drinkers. I would say that 99 of them, they don't know Cognac Gropera today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few of them, yes. Yeah. So, but let's look at Gropera. So you have different releases uh -huh. all the time, basically, I would say. And they are always limited, I would say. Most of them are limited, right? Yeah. Well, quality is the most important point. Every, you know, release under Gropera label, I will be a very good cognac. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can say, I prefer that one or that one, or I prefer this bottling for another cognac company. Of course, frankly, every bottling, every uh, single cognac from us has the objective to be the best. So I don't say, I don't say it is the best, no, but I just say that uh, thanks to this work, today we win, you know, every year new consumers. I don't, I don't know. How do you find new barrels? How do you find new eau de vie? Do you just receive the sample and say, hey, that's it? Do you drive <laughs> to the producer 
every yeah, day both both <laughs> uh, and, and not only mm-hmm. um, curiously there are a lot of uh, small cognac producers but not a lot of very old stock right it's easy to find a five ten years old cognac no problem you know it, you can find a lot but it's much more complicated to find a good 40 or 50 or even more years old cognac very complicated by chance my father was a broker so you know the broker is uh, the intermediate between producers and merchants thanks to that he had a very large portfolio of producers who were ready to to sell their cask and when I took over as company uh, about uh, 17 years ago I had the objective to visit a lot of them and um, I also talked with uh, other brokers and many of them like our concept and like what we do and they bring us some samples and also with time now it's more than 20 years old that's what we do we do that we have some producers friends of producers which were our our suppliers who are coming here and they are bringing us some samples this is how we work Then there is another point which is extremely important. It is the price we pay for this cognac. You know, about 15 years ago, I was uh, very surprised when I was hearing, you know, some producer talking about uh, some big merchants. The price point was extremely important. It's always curious to see that some cognac companies are discussing a lot, you know, the supplying price of a very, very old cognac, you know. Here, if mm. it's very good, we don't discuss. We pay the price. And this is another point which explains why we can get some very good cognacs. What makes you say, yes, I want this ODV? Um, tasting. Only tasting. That's it. Yes. So it's just the taste. It's the nose, it's the bush, it's, it's the finish. It's yeah. The, that's it. Yeah, whatever it comes from a merchant or whatever he has an history or no history or you know you don't care uh, no the quality the taste is by far the most important and we do our best to pay the right price correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. but you never put the producer's name on a bottle am I wrong very rarely we do it sometimes but very rarely why you know there is a precedent if you look at uh, what happened in the Armanac region in the Armagnac region, it's common to write the name of the domain. If you look at a merchant like Daros, for example, uh, you will see uh, Chateau de Gaube or domain, you know. It's a very good idea to do like that. But in the same time, the Cognac region has a different system, a different process in terms of uh, supply and sales. Many producers here, they have contracts with uh, the big Cognac names. Sometimes it has to be... Um, confidential when you buy something so sometimes it's me i can't write it i mean uh, why is it confidential because they have an ongoing contract with a bigger company because sometimes they are not supposed to sell to somebody else or because they just think they are not supposed to sell to anybody else they're afraid yes afraid i don't know there is no mafia you know it's just a commercial system when you have a good client sometimes you don't want to to know that uh, you are selling to another one it's very simple well this is part of of the reason the second one is i think that when you buy something from a producer it's important to give him the chance to produce again a very good cognac if you buy from him something very good and you say from which is coming from then you say okay I bought the best from this producer 
then you kill him. So this is the second reason. And the third one, it's important to keep the mystery behind each cask and each origin. I would say that it's also very important to talk about the history behind the cask and behind, you know, the origin. I, you know, since 1999, we are talking and writing the history behind each cognac. We were the first to do that. But it's important to, to do it with a sort of elegance. Keeps confidentiality is important for the cognac region, but also for the producers, but also for you. Because if you do that, then you build a cognac company. What is the work you do with the ODV once it is in your cellar until the day you bottle it? Ah. It's different for each cognac. Uh, for some cognac, there is nothing to do. It's uh, usually the best cognac, you know, even not white. You know, <laughs> sometimes we recently bought a beautiful blend of 1952 and 1922 from the Fambois region. Mm -hmm. uh, this cognac was about 45, 46%. It is in the Mijons since about uh, 15 years. Frankly, it is a delicious cognac, very, very good. This cognac, we just had the chance to buy the Demijohns and we kept it in Demijohns and we will bottle it directly like that. Nothing to do. How much liters is that in total? We bought uh, 600 liters of this treasure. Oh, that's a lot of Demijohn. Next year, we will buy even more. So, no, no, it's a real treasure. But these kind of treasures are very rare. Unfortunately, too rare. Mm. Uh, usually, when we buy, uh, let's say, 35, 40 years old cognac, I buy the cognac with the cask, yes. if possible. Mm. Then sometimes uh, we will do a small water reduction if it needs it. If not, we don't do any water reduction. Then it's just a work. It's many small things during all the time, like uh, to select the cellar you know, on the bank of the Charente River, so quite humid or quite dry in our cellars of uh, cognac or in our cellars of Charmignac. And then the kind of cask we will use for this cognac and a lot of uh, small things. At the end, uh, when we buy a cognac and when we sell it, the average is about five, seven, more than five years after. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It will be quite different from the initial cognac we received. You reduce... Mm -hmm. Is there any specific technique you're using for that? Where do you reduce it to normally? And Hello. how do you decide that? Well, um, it's a good question. So water reduction is very, very important. For the older cognac, we don't do any water reduction. Even for, you know, some 30, 40 years old cognac, sometimes we don't do water reduction. It's what we call brut de fût, mm -hmm. uh, straight from the cask. For the cognac that we will reduce, during many years, we used volvic water. Unfortunately, it's not permitted by law. So we, we had to stop this. Why is that not permitted? Well, it's not permitted because the cahier des charges, the regulation about the cognac production, says that uh, it has to be a water treated with osmosis system. So it's clear, the volvic water is not treated by osmosis. But, uh, you know, they, they decided uh, this uh, water treatment because it is a water treatment used here in the cognac region for a long time. By defect, because nobody tried to use another water or nobody wanted to you know, to spend a lot of money buying Volvic, like we did during years. So we found a new system. We are working with a, treated, with a water treated by osmosis system. 
But then we regulate this water. We apply a sort of biodynamic system, sending negative ion into the water. We are the first to do that. We are working on a larger system now. We can do that on a small uh, system, but we are now trying to uh, to do it on 500 liters. It's quite complicated to, to do. But well, we were talking about water reduction, but it's important to say that um, our cognac... Um, Uh, reduce at the right percentage of alcohol. If you look at the ranch, very few of them, finally, are under 50%. The majority of our cognac are more than 50%. So water is just used as a practical tool for aging. The objective is not to decrease the percentage of alcohol to make mo more money or to pay less taxes. What's the average ABV, approximately? I, I would say in 48, perhaps, 48 in total. Right? If, we, if, we, if we look at the ranch, it would be close to 50, 48, I think. What do you think of people who do not want to drink a 40% cognac because they say it's boring? First of all, yes, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> if, you, if you like cognac at a low percentage of alcohol, very, very well, I understand. If somebody say, okay, I drink only, uh, you know, Brut de Fu cognac, or mm -hmm. I never drink cognac at 40, or I drink only, you know, cognac at 40, I would not say that. I think that it depends on the age of the cognac. If you drink cognac, which is more than 50 years old, yes, you can expect to drink a cognac which is under 50%. If you drink, you know, a 30 years old cognac, you know, you don't expect to, to have the same thing. Then it depends on the way the cognac has been aged and, and produced. If your cognac, if your 30 years old cognac has been produced with a very small steel, for example, and then aged in a very humid cellar, you don't need to reduce it. Even if it's 52% of alcohol, let it at 52%. It will be good like that. At the contrary, if this cognac has been distilled in a very big pot still and then aged in a very dry cellar, frankly, this cognac will be more than 65% easily. What's uh, the highest ABV you, you've ever uh, released? Oh, I think it's 68. 68? Uh, yeah. Yeah, with a lot of lees, it can be very good. Mm -hmm. With a lot of lees and, uh, you know, and aging in a, in a new cask with a nice uh, tannins, and a nice vanine. Can you explain what lees mean? Yeah, sure. When you distill the wine, uh, you have some deposit into the, the wine. It depends on the quantity of this deposit you will put in your pot still. This will change a lot the taste of your cognac. But okay. a bouillard de cru will explain this better than me. Yes. So when you say 68%, right? How old mm -hmm. was that cognac then? If I remember well, it was 1971 Grand Champagne. Uh, bottled in 2005 or four, I don't remember. Uh, so it was, uh, well, 35 years old cognac, something like that. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So I want to I wanna ask a little bit about the barrels you use. Is there mm -hmm. any specific partner you work with or specific barrel types you use? I, I like a lot uh, Taranso. For me, they are... Well, I would say they are the best, but... Uh, Can you uh, explain why? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if they are the best, but I like them, okay? okay. I like the people and I like uh, the company. It's possible to find very good cask makers. I'm thinking about, you know, Vicar, Doro, Sogamoro, and some smaller companies which are doing a very, very good job. But I'm used to work with Taranso because I like the way they are sourcing the wood. This is something very important for a cask maker where he's buying the wood and uh, which guarantee and which uh, security he has on this sourcing. 
Taranso has a very strong guarantee on this, and they are working on a very traditional method. We are using some T5 cask for some Fol Blanche cognac, for example. And the T5 are casks which are aged more than five years. The wood is aged more than five years uh, outside, in, in the outdoor. And it gives very delicate grain to the eau de vie, uh, very delicate rancho. But each cask is quite rare and difficult to get. Do you move them sometimes from cellar to cellar? Because I understand you have different aging yeah, cellars. We, we move the cognac, but not the cask. Right. Mm, or very rarely. As you just mentioned, Folle Blanche. Yeah. Do you think Folle Blanche is about to have a big comeback? Well, probably because it's popular now. You know, producers, that they are farmers and they try to produce what's popular at the time. But the question, I mean, behind this question is probably, is Folle Blanche a good idea for Cognac Region? We could see it from a wine grower perspective, and we know yeah. Folle Blanche is not the easiest no. um, cépage. But mm. from your perspective... Well, I, I, I have a small experience with Fol Blanche, uh, 12 years experience, which is n not a lot compared to some producer here. The last 12 years, I would say that uh, Fol Blanche uh, gave two times better cognac than Udi Blanc. So this is not the best grape variety. And personally, I'm not surprised if Fol Blanche disappeared. Because uh, first of all, it's not easy to grow. Yes. And uh, secondly, many of them is not the best. You mean the cognac or the, or the underlying eau de vie? Or, or the eau de vie. The eau de vie. Right. And why it's easy to understand? It's, uh, it's because we are not very far from the Atlantic Ocean. And you know, like me, that September, October, we have rain. Mm. The problem with the Folle Blanche is that the um, grapes make a very small grain with a delicate skin very fragile skin. If a drop of water goes uh, on the grape, then very quickly we have botrytis. Even if you put treatment and everything, it's hard to control. Mm. The distillation will concentrate the aromas. If you have a touch of botrytis in your grape, then your final eau de vie will not be the purest. And unfortunately, it's almost every year <laughs> we have botrytis and Folle Blanche. That's why this grape variety disappeared. Um, your Folle Blanche bottlings mm -hmm. are much younger than your other yeah. bottlings. So mm -hmm. why is that? Um, because we will not bottle any young cognac if it's not something different. Today, our younger cognac, I mean currently, is a 11 years old borderie, which has been distilled with wood in a very small pot still by two brothers. A bit crazy. They don't use any yeast to make the vinification. So it's a very traditional borderie with a strong taste of borderie. I like it very much. We bottle it only uh, because it was something special, because 11 years old is too young. And the Fall Blanche, it was the same thing. We bottled some 2003 Fall Blanche, 2005. We also bottled a 2008 Fall Blanche, an organic one, and a 2010 Fall Blanche, organic two. These cognacs were quite special, not because they were Fall Blanche, but because they were distilled with a specific method called Method Grasse, uh, which is something special. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, we know uh, you're not a distiller. Yeah, exa exactly. The method grass uh, method is a very old method which will have uh, for objective to make the cognac rounder and smoother 
with a stronger aromas than a standard distillation. And to do that, you have to be close to the pot still and to let the juice, you know, coming after the second distillation. It will give something which is heavier and quite complex. If you taste it like that, you will say, wow, it's, you know, it's strong. It's, uh, it's not very delicate. Yes, but after a few years of aging in a new cask, it's very interesting. Is Grosberin steering towards organic cognac? Well, we are organic certified for, I don't remember, but more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. I totally support organic wine production. Uh, it's something very important for me. I think it's the right uh, sense of history. We, we have today to think in terms of organic. We can't use any more pesticides and chemical products in the land. It's not acceptable anymore. It's clear. That said, I'm supporting organic uh, farming and organic one yard. I would love to have only organic cognac, but when you bottle a cognac from the 70s or the 60s, simply it's not possible. At that time, in cognac, the first organic farm was uh, Brar Blanchard, no, I think, 69 or Pinard. Really? I think oh, it's, I, I it's Pinard, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. But there were very, very few, so hard to, to, to have this cask. Moreover, more focused on quality on the vino you know, final eau de vie. Today, as a merchant, even uh, even if I, I would love to bottle only organic cognac, today the best samples I receive are, are not you know always organic. So we bottle the best cognac we, we have. About ten years ago, I invited Bailiff uh, to come in the cellar, and I asked her to um, take samples. I don't remember how many. I think it was twenty different cognacs. Okay. She was, you know, free to select the cask she wanted. I just asked her to take a sample, one sample of the younger one and one sample of the older one. We sent these uh, samples to a big laboratory located in the south of France. And I asked them to make an analysis on 400 uh, molecules of chemical products that we were supposed, you know, to find in the one yard here in, in France. We received the results. All the samples we, we sent, it was non-detected. There is no phytosanitary product, no chemical product residues. No, the double distillation eliminates everything. So when you drink a, an organic cognac, it's important to understand that um, it has a sense in terms of social and ecological, in terms of sustainability and human uh, resources, but not so many in terms of the final product contrary to an apple or to a vegetable or anything else. But if we take wine in general, that's a different mm -hmm. story, I would say. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Because there's no other agricultural plant that gets so many treatments, chemical treatments per year than wine. Absolutely. At the end, the organic wine will not be better than a non-organic wine, but right. in a non-organic traditional wine, you will find a lot of residues, uh, which is not the case in a cognac. How important are crus for you, the different growth areas? Do you really care? I, I really care about that. It's very important. We have six crus, and each of these crus is different. So um, you would not agree that Grand Champagne is the best growth area? No, I, I'm not totally agree with that. I would say that Grand Champagne can give the best cognac. Yes, 
Uh, if you compare Grand Champagne from you know beginning of the 20s or the 30s with the Fembois, you have a lot of chance to find the Grand Champagne better. It's because of the cru. So yes, Grand Champagne makes delicious and very good, very, very old cognacs. Yes. But we don't drink every day 70 years old cognac. Uh, if you drink a 30 years old Fembois or, or 25 years old Bonbois, uh, believe me, it will be. It can be better than a Grand Champagne. So when you taste, you do not really think about the cru. Do I think about the cru? I recognize the cru, but when I buy it, I don't care about the cru. I would like to understand how you took over the business. You're 23. Were you prepared to run a cognac house? Well, 17 years ago, we are not a cognac house. We can't say that. We were an independent business, bottling, you know, casks. At that time, the idea was to select the best cask as possible, and but we were not able to keep them simply because it's a question of, of money. My idea 17 years ago was to um, find a solution to buy this cask, to find a solution to have uh, cellars like this one, to be able, you know, to keep the best cask to age them. At that time, I had the opportunity to make blends, to buy larger volumes, to make blends for the big brands and to sell these blends to them. Not only to the big brands, you know, it was also to, to smaller merchants. And uh, this opportunity has been uh, very important for, for us because it gave us the possibility to buy and keep the cask. So I would say that we have been helped a lot by cognac merchants and by the big cognac company here locally, even if we are not from cognac ourselves. You're not from the town of cognac. From the town of cognac, yes. Mm. Allow me to, I mean, 23 mm. years old. How big was your team back then? Where, where did you start? Oh, well, it was a, a very small business. We were two, uh, two people and uh, me and another lady and uh, I start visiting buyers all around the world and in France too I traveled a lot spoke a lot about cognac and um, tried to so at to this point you are mm -hmm. more like a broker right? yeah we can say that okay um, I was uh, simply buying and selling sometimes blending but at the beginning we were even not bottling by ourselves so it was you know a very small start we start bottling i remember the first the first production we, we did with my father it was before 2003 everything was made you know on the table in, in the kitchen it was uh, very artisanal very simple so the idea was just to propose the best cognac as possible to sell it to the right people today we have the same objective and we do the same thing it's just that it's not uh, It's not anymore two casks with bottle per year. It's a bit more, not a lot, with our 10,000 bottles per year. It's still a boutique. It's still a boutique, yes. So 17 years ago, how many mm -hmm. bottles did you do with Copera? Zero. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, it was like uh, almost zero. Yeah, it was uh, 1,000 maximum. I don't remember. Yeah. And today, how many people work in this? We are in total uh, eight people. You will go to a cellar and find mm -hmm. 600 liters of Damjan. 52, 22. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. How can I imagine that? How did you find such a treasure? This one specifically? Well, it was thanks to a, to a broker. 
who knows uh, exactly what kind of cognac I like. Right. He called me and he told me, okay, I have something for you. And when he called me and said that, I know exactly what he means. So then I was just in a hurry to, to visit this cellar. And I was not disappointing. It was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, when you find something like that, it's always very emotional because it's a treasure. Yeah. So you basically take calls, receive samples and drive there rapidly yeah. if it's interesting and check it out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Would you say that old cognacs are slightly undervalued compared to maybe the whiskey world? Because in finding a whiskey that is between 40 and 60 years old or that actually the one we just talked about mm -hmm. in the Damjan you found the 600 liters I mean in whiskey that would be yeah you could retire yeah yeah I, I don't know if cognac is uh, undervalued or if whiskey is uh, too <laughs> too expensive today it's probably something in between mm -hmm. well if you think about the time it was necessary to have and the time you need you know to produce something like that the cost of the angel's share but also the cost of the different heritages you know because you have to pay taxes you know when you give something to your son or your daughter and the cost of the storage itself and many other things yeah it's clearly not the right price But to say that if you pay a 10,000 euro, 50 years old whiskey, is it the right price? No, I don't think so. I don't know. Someone who starts exploring cognac in general, which cognac, which bottle of your current lineup would you recommend? To somebody who, who is starting with cognac, I would recommend something else, not a Gros Perrin cognac. Ha! Um, I would recommend to start with some very good bottling, you know, from uh, independent producers, mm -hmm. which make, you know, very delicious cognac for very good value for the quality. With or without sugar, you know, it's not the most important. So you're saying it's not uh, a no-go to go for a 40% caramel added, a little bit of sugar. Why not? Why not? I'm not against, you know, caramel and sugar. We don't put caramel and sugar nor boise in our cognac. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I respect the, the tradition of uh, coloring and of sweetening of, of the cognac. You know, I'm not against this. You will find some delicious cognac with a bit of caramel and with a bit of sugar, with a bit of boise. It's not the most important point. But in the Groperin range, we are starting with, uh, you know, some quite complicated cognac. It's important to have a first sort of knowledge of what uh, traditional cognac can be and be a bit educated about cognac in general. It's what I think. It's funny that you don't say Le Roc or Mestreau. Well, Le Roc and Mestreau are very good value for quality again. But even these cognacs, they are produced without any additives, mm -hmm. except the Borderie number no. 8, which contains sugar and boisé. But the other cognacs, they don't contain any additives. Even these cognacs are quite dry and not so easy to drink compared to other cognacs. But it's not the only reason. Another reason is that uh, it's important to start with cognac from producers because then it's easy to understand the cru. It is easy to understand uh, the typicity of the terroir, the work which is behind the cognac. And it's also important to taste the cognac from the big brands that will give an historical view of what cognac is. And this is extremely important because the cognac producers here in cognac, they first produce for them. They don't produce for themselves. Okay, 99.5% uh, of the 
cognac sales are made by merchants, not by producers. So it's very important to not forget the big brands. Okay, so if someone comes with a 50 euro bill and says, hey, Guillaume, where do I start? You send him away. Well, if the consumer you are talking about is, is here in our cellar, I will find a solution with him, you know. <laughs> I will not tell him to go somewhere else. Well, I will tell him to go somewhere else too. With 50 euros, you can have a very good VSOP. And if you had chance, if you know the addresses, you can find some very small producers who will be ready to sell some very old cognac for a ridiculous price. Well, okay, it's only if you have chance and if you know the address, <laughs> you know, from somebody else. In our range for 50 euros, you will have a, a very good VSOP. Um, some people say that your company culture and, well, you have socialized mm -hmm. or helped changing the cognac world that more and more people are interested in more pure, authentic, mm -hmm. single barrel cognac. Let's talk a little bit about vintages. What is so magical about Millesime? Well, there are two things. The first thing is, okay, the vintages, the millésime, what it is and why today it's so popular. And another thing, which is the way we um, age and we propose the cognac. These are two different things. First of all, about the way we age and we bottle our cognac has been, yes, very inspirative for a lot of people here in cognac. I'm very proud of this. I think um, we participated a lot to change the view cognac producers and cognac merchants had on cognac. I'm proud of this. It's a big satisfaction for me. But it's more in relation with the quality and the way we are producing the cognac. Then the vintages are quite often a sort of uh, raccourci. Uh, shortcut. Yes, a shortcut to say to the consumer, I'm working like that. Unfortunately, all the shortcuts are not the, the best. Millesim are supposed to be natural, are supposed to be, you know, cast strength or single estate or single cask and so on. But they are just supposed to be like that. The reality is much more complicated. That's why we are not proposing only vintages. We are proposing different cognac, like the batches. They are not certified vintages. Certified vintages can be very interesting, but uh, it's important to not focus only on the category vintages. It's more complicated than this. If vintages is one category you take care of, what is the rest to you? Well, um, you can make a single estate, single cask, castring cognac, even if it's not vintage cognac. Mm -hmm. Okay, You can also make a single estate, single cask and castring cognac which is a vintage, which will be delicious and very good. The most important is to focus on quality of the cognac itself, whatever it is, a vintage or not vintage, or, you know, with sugar or without sugar. Yeah, the diversity is huge, so it's important to know the product and to talk with other people who, who know them too. I think um, there is a new um, dimension on, on cognac today, which is uh, participation, a sort of common interest of the consumers who are now talking together, exchanging information. This is very precious and very new for the cognac uh, category. Mm. Very important for us. Mm -hmm. You close the cellar and you go home. Mm -hmm. 
what would you consume? What do you drink other than cognac? Well, a good uh, infusion or a good tea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I saw there was some yeah. Japanese and Chinese mm -hmm. tea down there. What's, what's going I, I, on with that? I, I like very much plants. Mm -hmm. Well, my sister Axel is also master of tea. She loves tea. Oh, really? Uh, Chinese tea and, uh, and things like that. So, um, Where's the Gros Perrin tea product? Uh, no, we don't have any <laughs> Gros Perrin tea product. Um, to reply to your, to your question, what I will drink at home, yeah. very rarely cognac. I drink cognac, of course, but I drink cognac every morning. So when I am at home, I like to drink something else, except with, uh, when I am with friends. Right. When you talked about the discovery of these Damjan, mm -hmm. you said it's a very emotional process. What is your most memorable moment of discovery? I have a lot. I have a lot. One which has come like that in my memory is um, in a farm uh, near Rouillac, an old cellar. Inside this cellar, there was a small part which was closed uh, with a key for the last, I uh, don't remember, but I think it's 50 years, something like that. Uh, these people were not producing anymore since these last 50 years. And, and why? It's because the lady was uh, supposed to be married. She was quite old. Uh, she was more than 75, 80 years old. And uh, she was supposed to be married with the son of the producers from this farm. Unfortunately, this guy passed away just a few days before the marriage by a car accident. Then uh, the family adopted this lady. She was part of the family. Then these people, when they passed away, they gave the farm to her. A few years after, she married with a man who was a mason. She sold the wine yard. She sold uh, everything because she was not herself a producer. She just kept the older cognac produced by this family. This cognac were 1848 cognac, mm. not 20 liters. It was uh, nine demijohns of 50 liters each, mm. which is just crazy. So they just put this demijohn in this part of the cellar behind a small door in wood, very old, closed with a big key. When I came uh, first and they opened this door, Wow, mm. it was just fabulous, just crazy. Uh, until today, you know. <laughs> yeah, shivers. And yeah, it was just fabulous. I have the opportunity and the and the very big chance to buy this uh, this treasure. Yeah, it's a it's a very good souvenir. You always have something new that stuns mm -hmm. me. I mean, you, not only one mm -hmm. bottle. I mean, you're basically like renewing your range all the time, right? It's important to understand that we bottle small volumes. Yeah. So, you know, it's very often 200 liters. Mm. Uh, so when the cask is finished, we bottle a new cask. It can be something else. But we have a, a lot of stock of very old cognac. So I try to propose something new and as good as the previous one uh, all the time. What's your latest release? We recently bottled the 5222 we talked uh, about a few minutes ago. Ah. Uh, but we also bottled a nice 1989 vintage Fambois. Uh, very interesting because aged in a humid cellar. So mm -hmm. naturally at 48-49%. Very smooth, round, rich, interesting. We also bottled a new cask of our Fambois 1990, a certified uh, vintage. 
age for more than 10 years in our cellars. Very interesting because a very smooth tannin and a very complex, rich, very dense. Bottled a few months ago now, a nice 1973 certified vintage Petit Champagne. I like it very much. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is a bottling to buy, I think. Uh, we bottled the um, last cask of 1958 Fambois, number 58. This one is not a vintage cognac, but very, very, very delicious. 58 was the smallest year of the century in terms of production. It gave some beautiful things, and this one is the best 58 I had the opportunity to taste. You see, you can't stop yourself. You're releasing so many uh, new things. No, well, it's it's only 10,000 bottles per year. So yeah, it's of not course. So many. Small quantity, but I know every bottling we did, I know all of them. Yeah, this one I recommend. It's the 58 uh, Fembois and the 52, 22 Fembois. Both of them, if you have to, to buy something old, I recommend these two, these two cognacs. Yeah. Kim, uh, thanks very much for taking the time. Thank you, Max. Thank and you very much. Yeah, we can only encourage to discover the range of Croparin. Thank you, Max. Fantastic having you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Cognac Expert podcast. You find the recommendations and links in the show notes. Subscribe to our podcast and give us a high-star rating if you like our work. Discover and purchase Groporin Cognac and go to cognacexpert.com. Also, make sure to click on Follow Brand and you will always be alerted once Groporin releases a new bottle. See you next time. Au revoir.